0: Hi, I'm David Ray. I run the digital innovation arm of BP's trading company. Very excited to be here today uh, to host another podcast. And today we're talking to Richard Browning. Um, very excited about this conversation for two reasons. One is Richard used to work with us in BP. He's an ex-colleague for many years as a trader um, in BP. But also to therefore to hear some of his story about having left BP. What's it been like, and what advice he would give us. But even more excited because Richard is now a true life, a real life Tony Stark. He's created Gravity Industries and you've seen him probably on TED Talks, on various YouTube videos, uh, flying his jet suit. So fascinated to hear a little bit about his story and his journey around that.
1: Hi, David. Uh, thank you for the, the the flattering intro.
0: Just tell us a little bit about what is Gravity, what are you doing now, what excites you, but then also how did you get here?
1: I, I was with VP for 16 years. I joined on the graduate scheme and discovered IST quite early on was somewhat enthralled by the entrepreneurial um, sort of small business feel in a way that you get with a trading book and uh, spent most of my 16 years with IST uh, and then had some unusual um, and quite joyous discoveries during my time at BP which I might end up talking about but um, I suppose I've always been fascinated by that sort of innovative entrepreneurial design kind of process of, of starting with an idea starting with something that's inspiring and interesting and then prototyping and exploring your way towards hopefully sometimes because I'm very used to failure being a big part of this but hopefully sometimes getting to a point where you surprise yourself and everybody around you with that original concept actually come into fruition and that's what happened with this idea around human flight. I've spent the last three and a half almost four years or so running Gravity as a company. Uh, most people it seems by now have seen something on social media or mainstream media about what we do. It's, it essentially amounts to myself or one of my team flying uh, in somewhat of an Ironman kind of way. That was not the intention in the in the, at the outset, but, um, but it does indeed look a little bit like that. But it, essentially, they're 1,000 horsepower jet engine flying suits that um, started with a seemingly impossible idea. And uh, while still working for BP, actually, in my evenings and weekends, I worked away on the concept and ended up, to my surprise, getting to a point where it worked really quite well and then rolled it into a company and Just before COVID struck, uh, we had finished, uh, I think it was event 103 in 30 separate countries, team of 12 people. We've generated all our own revenue since a sort of somewhat miraculous uh, VC round um, accidentally in San Francisco. And um, when we launched this in April 2017, it caused such a stir. Uh, I got a call from Chris Anderson to go and do TED 2017 with only two weeks notice. So I jumped on a plane. Um, I, I did, did ask permission uh, from BP at the time and say, look, oh, dear, I've created a little bit of a thing here. Do you mind if I have a bit of time to go and do a once in a life, lifetime opportunity, you know, big TED talk? But on the way, I went to San Francisco to stop off um, to see a, a supposedly small VC group called um, Boost VC run by Adam Draper. It turned out his father, Tim Draper, was one of the biggest or is one of the biggest VCs in the valley. And I did a demo in their car park or their parking lot, as it should be, on the way to Ted, really as an ambition of just trying to test this equipment for the first time outside of the farmyard I developed it. And um, I sort of shut the engines down after the demo, very relieved that it had worked, um, holstered the engines, and they wrote me a $650,000 deal on a banknote, $100 bill, and... um, uh, that was my VC round, and it actually later, quite a, quite some months later, actually did materialise, and that that was it. And all, all the revenue we generated uh, since then has all come from you know our own actual events and displays and training clients and all these other things. So it's an unusual story. It's a great story, no, is I
0: can, I can picture a book. I can picture a movie at some point with just that image oh, there, of there, there, there is there is, the is a parking big lot.
1: There's a big Penguin Random House book that was due for international launch this summer, but uh, COVID has pushed it back to 2021. So, uh, so yep, yeah, that's, that's on its way.
0: What about the decision to then step away from BP and step into this wholeheartedly? Just tell me a little bit about how did that feel? What was your thinking around that? How did you approach that decision?
1: Yeah, this, this this is a difficult one for me because I, I'm somewhat of a split personality. I am 50% um, my father's ambitious, let's go change the world, let's have a crazy idea and run with it and never give up and keep going and uh, and all that stuff, which which is very common territory for innovators and entrepreneurs. My father, unfortunately, took his own life when I was 15 through that business venture failing. So I had the mother of all lessons in mm-hmm. just what happens if that perseverance and never give up. Um, attitude goes too far. Um, you know, you and your audience, I'm sure, are very familiar with the concept of pivoting and how that sits juxtaposed to the the, the attitude of never giving up. You, you've got to never give up to the point where you realise what you're doing is has got to be adjusted and you've got to make a drastic change. Those are really hard points to identify. So I very much was in my niche, if you like, inside the relative security of Big Mother BP uh, and yet, within the microcosm of a super entrepreneurial, you know, uh, interesting, uh, dynamic world of IST, and within that, it running a trading book, and and I I love that because it it allowed me to scratch that entrepreneurial itch, but but it, without feeling like I was risking everything in a way that I had see go so catastrophically wrong during my, you know, teenage years. So to to set myself on a trajectory where I was backing myself with something as ludicrous as what I've already described was. Challenging to say the least. Um, so, you know, I, I, I did a huge amount of late nights and evenings and weekends into progressing this concept whilst not just, you know, tearing up the day job and, and leaving that came at the sacrifice of sleeping, <laughs> mm. uh, but but bought me the relative comfort Sort of safety blanket of knowing that I could get it as far as I could, you know, and and even proving that the concept worked before I set myself on that trajectory. But it was extremely hard. That was probably one of the hardest psychological kind of processes for the reasons you can imagine with that backstory.
0: So you and I have known each other for a while through IST days, and you always were an innovator. You always were that individual who thought differently, behaved slightly differently, had different ideas. What were some of the frustrations you had? What were some of the challenges you had? What some of the I guess the advice you'd give us as we try and become more innovative as a culture and as an organisation?
1: I'm much more interested by looking at what people aren't doing than what people are doing. Risk is an absolutely integral part of innovation. You, know, you take risk by getting out of bed in the morning and thinking of any new idea. I mean, you know, risk is around us all the time. It's about managing that risk. This is what I found frustrating, especially as a you know, trading organisation knows this wholeheartedly, that, that you engage in risk in order to see return. But it's about how you manage the risk. We have a a kind of mantra in in gravity, which is that, you know, we'll we'll go and try some things that on the surface look like quite risky things. But actually what we do behind the scenes is analyze what is the worst that can happen if this goes wrong. And And we have three kind of assessment lenses, if you like. It, it's from a safety perspective, unsurprisingly, but also from a reputation perspective and a financial perspective. It, you know, are we gonna go and try test some new wing system? If we are, well, what's the worst that's gonna happen? If we fall 20 feet into water going 20, 30 miles an hour, you know what, you can do yourself more damage falling off a jet ski. We've got you know, the downside covered in that scenario. Are we gonna throw a load of resources at launching a race series in Bermuda? Well, yes, yeah, let's go and do that. What's the worst that can happen? Well, you know what? There could be some unsuspecting circumstance that comes along and completely screws us but are we invested so much from a financial perspective that that kills off everything else we can do no so let's go and self-fund it and uh, you know use the resources we already got and see where we get to well guess what Covid comes along and that was supposed to happen in march Has it really caused us a major impact no because we've managed the downside it's all about managing the downside of every experiment you partake in and i think i think you know i would encourage people to look around them Be creative. Think almost, and this sounds ridiculous, but almost think like a child. Don't be beaten into thinking in a corporate, school, university, closeted textbook way. The big opportunities are lying in the seemingly impossible, in the periphery of what we know now. Um, Entertain that idea. Investigate how you can go and prototype it as quickly and cheaply as possible. And what is the worst that can happen? Maybe your colleagues think you've wasted a bit of time, but you probably spend your evenings and weekends doing it because it was going to be a passion-fueled exploration into something. You know, those are the kind of behaviors and lessons and learnings I see all around me when I look at other small innovative startups and it sounds like, you know, you're venturing into those worlds as well. That's where you have the ingredient sets to go and shine a light on new ideas.
0: You touched there on your last answer about plans you had for Barbados and a race event around that, but where does the then the future and the aspiration of gravity go and what does that look like?
1: Yeah, so, you know, as I mentioned, I mean, this is a wonderfully uncharted pathway, really, there is not many examples of business models that are built around, you know, anything similar to what we've done. So it's both, you know, challenging and, and super fun. It seems to connect with this innate desire human beings have probably had for 100,000 years of looking up at the birds and saying, gosh, yeah. I want to be able to go and do that. I want to break free from, you know, without promoting our brand too much, gravity and yeah. uh, and f- and feel free and, and be able to go anywhere I want to. And the feeling you get when you fly these is entirely that. If I dial back to your question, though, um, having seen this effect on people as far flung as, you know, Japanese baseball stadiums, Australia, India, Brazil... You know, 30 separate countries because all this gear packs into two check in suitcases. So me and the team can just go anywhere in the world. Usually when you're not locked down <laughs> exactly. with virus, um, we've had this enormous sort of straw poll effect around the world. And consistently, everybody just wants to see more. So, well, you take a step back and think, well, what the hell have we actually done here? We've done this big global kind of polling and we've earned lots of money from doing it. Well, why don't we scale this into a race series? Actually, when you look at Formula One or IndyCar or NASCAR, or all these other race series, well, what are they actually doing? Those cars are not practical for anything other than entertainment, inspiration, and leaving a trail of sometimes usable technology, like ABS in the case of motor racing. Mm-hmm. So that that was the conclusion we came to last year, and we said, look, you know, apart from it being outrageous fun to have several pilots in the air all chasing each other in this kind of effortless, dreamlike way. Why not go and set that up as a Red Bull Air Race type activation? Do it over water so the downside risk is, again, you know, back to what I said earlier, is entirely managed. The worst case scenario is you just get wet and damage some equipment. Um, and let's go and run that as a, as a sort of pinnacle activity under which everything from events through to training clients and everything else can kind of fall. Um, and that was entirely the plan. But as, as I said, COVID has put it all on pause. But uh, we do lots of TV and media stuff. Um, and we've also got a, a very solid backbone of military activity behind the scenes mm. as well, building on my, my Royal Marines past. So that race ambition is still very much there. Um, it's just going to be somewhat dictated by the degree to which uh, COVID is going to let us get out there and travel to the you know race locations.
0: So you clearly built a team. You've looked for individuals. As you said, you find people who've got that passion, that purpose, and then and then you open them up, you create the right environment for them. But, but what do you look for in people to join gravity and to work with you to achieve this purpose
1: yeah we we have a, we have a terrible problem with this but it's a it's a terribly different different problem from what most people have which is that i probably get between 20 and 30 genuine passionate outreaches a day from mit graduates to you know to recently retiring you know uh, professors or phd's or you know fighter pilots as i've described the challenge is is not to find them; they find us. The, the, but the approach, which has worked quite well, is to simply say, "Look, you know, you sound like an interesting person. Uh, where are you based? Uh, next time, we're you know, when it used to work really well, and we used to travel a lot. Next time we're in your neighbourhood, just come hang out. You know, we'll get you behind the scenes. Come out. Um, you know, if you're good with a zip tie, <laughs> you just hang out. You know, have have no chip on your shoulder. Just just be around the team. Very quickly, you get to see." how people work you get to see how people work in the stress of a behind the scenes you're about to go live on TV to 5 million people you know it's interesting to see how people react to that Mm. Um, you know are you good at just pitching in even though you've got three PhDs can you indeed use a zip tie that's a really good test Mm. (laughs) Um, you know and and it very quickly becomes this this sort of um, testing ground to just see how people operate and then you identify you know actually yeah you might have three PhDs you might be useless with a zip tie but you've got an amazing eye for what might be a really interesting experimentation with a couple of strakes attached to our leg wing, which might provide a degree of directional stability, which we're really looking for. And, you know, the the folks wearing gravity T-shirts behind the scenes at an event are the most disparate and diverse bunch you can imagine, because I am ruthlessly, um, perversely driven towards the most diverse different people you can imagine, because it's good for business. It is absolutely brilliant. I do not want a bunch of white, you know, mid-20s, Um, Oxford PhD, you know, Oxford graduates. Let's say to all gather around the problem and all tell me what it said in the textbook. That is the utter opposite of what we we are fueled off. There is no textbook that describes what we do. In fact, there's at least three to four reasons why I was told by very eminent people that this, the fragments of this idea, would never work. Absolute rubbish. But we only realise that by just getting out there and trying and not listening to the conventional wisdom and actually embracing seemingly unusual left field ideas which came from the kind of people who don't usually have a voice in the conventional realms you know so there's a really strong you know and i'm not i'm not the first person to identify or talk about all this but um you know if if nothing else hopefully we're a good example a very loud example of where this can really pay dividends has there
0: ever been a moment where you thought actually no, I can't make this work. This isn't going to, this isn't going to fly, to use a pun.
1: Oh, I mean, relentlessly. Um, I I think, again, this is the problem with reading too many sort of uh, innovation uh, business books by people like Richard Branson, who I I think is brilliant. But I I think there's always a risk that you read too many of those accounts and you think, well, this is just going to be... You know, the majority of the time just forging on ahead, persevering and it will come good. No, innovation for me is spending most of the time doing things that break or fail or don't work. So you spend most of the time on the journey thinking, oh, my God, this maybe is entirely the wrong direction. You know, you're constantly self-doubting, constantly challenging, constantly questioning. Is this right? So, yes, to answer your question, I spent most of the time wondering if this was never going to work.
0: If you look around you see organisations around you, you've come into contact with some amazing individuals, Um, Over the last three years of your journey in this space of gravity, who inspires you? Who do you take innovation? Who do you see as being kind of really interesting from an innovation perspective?
1: I'm actually most, I suppose, enthralled and um, impressed by people who, you know, actually in history, in looking back, have Mm. persevered i think it's easy to get enthralled by the the you know the the i suppose the industrial revolution um mm. the late 1800s early you know 1900s where there was just a blooming of amazing breakthroughs that boundaryless spirit of you know the brunel era um the, the same era where the eiffel tower was built as an exhibition piece and is still there i mean you know if we could try and rekindle kind of come out of this covid era with a little bit of that spirit and rekindle that ambition i suppose i'll, I'll throw one modern name out there. And that is listening to Elon Musk on the same TED stage that i just been on talk about going, taking humanity to Mars Mm -hmm. without even cracking a smile. Like that's a ridiculous thing to have as an ambition. I mean, that, that was just, you know, that put into context all other, you know, uh, challenges to, to have that as your stated ambition is just amazing and inspiring. So I think humanity needs more of that kind of ambition to get ourselves out of the current and near-term challenges, I think.
0: One last question maybe for you. So what's your one best piece of advice for a budding innovator in trading context, in a BP context?
1: To be honest, the biggest, and this isn't gonna sound great, but the biggest learning will be that the failure, the little failures you experience are not the end of the world. If failure doesn't become part of the culture, then the big breakthroughs won't come naturally either. Um, So I think as a team and as, you know, right from the junior folks just starting, through to the you know leadership team, it, it's starting to get away from this terror around risk. Just grow up and, and own the downside and be confident that you can manage it. And then, you know, like you say, you've got a wonderful, shiny example in the frontline trading teams there. They live every day with taking risk and swallowing downside risk. And that model's persevered pretty well over the last 10 years. Thank you. Thanks, Richard.
0: I think it's a great story. I very much appreciate it. And we very much appreciate it. And all the very best for the future. Thanks, David. My pleasure.